Welcome to episode 4 of The Radicals, a podcast version of the novel The Radicals, written by me, Marilyn Krasner. The Radicals is narrated by Amanda Friedlander. Intro and outro music by Siobhan Hurd. Links in the show notes. When I get to the cousin's house, I am greeted by several of Cecilia's family members who are flush-faced and tipsy and seem happy to see me, to the point where I have to look down at my shoes to hide the heat on my own cheeks. Cecilia's best cousin lends me a bathing suit that I don't want to wear. I stand naked in front of a full-length mirror in the bathroom, staring at my body. This kind of knocks the good feelings out of me because I don't recognize myself in this body. I touch my stomach, my hips, and rub my face. I'm out of touch with this body. I used to use my body as my protest placard, tits out, with visible pubic hair hanging out of my old undies. I never spent a lot of time looking at my body or thanking my body for all the work it does to take care of me. One time I interviewed with my mom for a zine or something, and she said it took her a long time to accept that I went out in public with not much clothing on, but she understood what I was doing. She thought I was ignoring shame and embarrassment to force people to confront their own shame and embarrassment. When I used my body in protest, it was also her protest, because she built my body in her body. I now realize how uncomfortable nudity makes people, and that is why I'm putting this bathing suit on. I float around the pool holding Frida. Cecilia watches us from a lounge chair. Palm trees hover above her head. The sky is a shocking blue. I could be in Hawaii or some other exotic location, but I'm here in my real life and there is calm with me. I notice it and I'm trying not to push it away. You're a good mom, Cecilia says as she lies back and relaxes in the heat of the sun. That's it. She killed it. I'm not a good mom. I'm not a mom. She's the mom. Would a good mom be thinking about putting a quiet life at risk? I can't help planning. It's what makes me, me. I was indoctrinated in the mission of pussy power long before I committed to these people with their carefree lives of lounging by the pool, a picnic table overflowing with food. The easy life was never something I strived for. I will forever and always be a disruptor. I can't continue to be the woman I have become, the responsible person this little girl in my arms feels safe with if I don't take Carl Jukes down. This is my predicament. I can't ignore what I know about him and his trajectory of chaos and abandonment of basic common sense. I'm going to keep being a part of this family, and I'm going to ruin him. I can do both. I have been working up to this for a long time. I'm an expert in my new life and my old life. You seem happy, Cecilia says in the car on the way home. That was fun, I say, and I mean it. I drank a bottle of cider, and because I don't drink often, that one drink heated my belly and coated my brain with its sugary intoxicants. My family loves you. Cecilia squeezes my arm, and it seems like she is trying to reassure me. I felt loved by her family, but the arm squeeze makes me question whether or not they have always loved me. Is she telling herself that I am loved by her family, or is she telling the world 
My family loves this troubled loser I'm shacked up with. Hey, I have something to tell you, I say, gripping the steering wheel. I know I shouldn't do this, but I'm bursting with this information and I have no one else to tell. Yeah? I know that tone in her voice. It means, oh shit, what is D broken slash damaged slash turned off slash bought slash who has she offended? She has a good reason to assume that something bad or at least inconvenient has happened. I haven't been the most careful person over the past two years. I broke the clasp on a necklace she inherited from her grandmother. It was a family heirloom from Mexico that has been handed down for generations. It's expensive to fix and we haven't put the money aside to do it. Cecilia sucks her teeth and shakes her head when she comes across it in her daily search of her six jewelry boxes. I don't know if she only puts on this display of disappointment when I'm awake, but my fear is that every morning when I'm sleeping and she is getting ready for work, she looks in that box of hers and thinks that I am unreliable and she needs to remember that when she thinks about trusting me. To me, it's just jewelry and I'm not sure how much it's worth anyway, apart from its sentimental value to her family. I never thought I'd end up with such a femme. I was never attracted to women who wore makeup. Now I'm with this person who has a beauty routine at both ends of her day and sounds like a wind chime when she walks through a room, leaving a lingering scent of that expensive perfume she wears. I'm not complaining. I've had to get over all the things I used to think about myself since my life changed two years ago. Arrest, boom. A job, boom, boom. Falling in love, boom, boom, boom. A baby, kaboom. The necklace wasn't my only failure. There was this night when I told her grandfather a couple stories from my wild days. I drank a lot that night to cope with all of the people paying me attention as Cecilia's new girlfriend. It felt like a gentle hazing. I made a bad assumption that Cecilia's grandfather was an alcoholic because he has that slurry way of talking. I thought his retention of specifics from our conversation would dissolve into his drunk brain and never be repeated. To the contrary, Grandpa must play lots of old people brain games because he later repeated my drunken chest-pounding stories to Cecilia's aunts. He exaggerated the facts even more than I did, because the original story I remember telling him was the time I walked through a drive-thru and ordering enough food to feed a small family, wearing only a puffy-sleeved leotard and assless chaps. The story he told the rest of the family was about me robbing the fast food place without any clothes on. Cecilia's cousins still make fun of me by shaking their flat male chests at me and yelling, Give me all your french fries or I'll slap you with my tits! It was funny the first couple of times. I grip the steering wheel tight and tell her, I was watching TV this morning when I was up with Frida and guess who I saw? Who? Don't you want to guess? Um, Queen Latifah? What? No, I do love her. It's someone you would not even think of because it's unimaginable. Cecilia doesn't say anything. She looks at me, and I can tell she isn't enjoying the guessing game, which I get because I'm not enjoying it either. Carl Jukes. I saw Carl Jukes on TV at 5 o'clock this morning. Frida starts to cry. Oh, you woke her up. Cecilia gives me a stern look. Did you hear me? You saw who? Cecilia says as she tries to soothe Frida by reaching over her seat at an uncomfortable angle to the rear-facing car seat. Carl? Jukes? My father? On TV? One of those right-wing talking head shows? Shh, shh. Hush, little baby, don't say a word. 
Mama's gonna buy you a mockingbird. If that mockingbird don't sing, Mama's gonna buy you a wedding ring. And if that wedding ring turns brass, Mama's gonna buy you a porcupine. Cecilia looks at me and laughs silently. My turn. If that porcupine does poke, Mama's gonna buy you a funny joke. If that funny joke don't kill, Mama's gonna buy you a house on the hill. Cecilia gives me the thumbs up. If that house on the hill does slide, Mama's gonna buy you a... I can't make the next rhyme. Formaldehyde. Cecilia puts her finger up to her shmouth. Did you ever dissect frogs or anything in school? I can still remember that smell. I think some kids in my class tried to use it as an inhalant, like, to get high. Idiots. Should I bring up Carl again? What is there to gain if I do? Honesty, transparency. Although that would mean that I would also have to tell her about the trip to the internet cafe, the printouts in my bag, and the plan percolating in my brain. You saw your father on TV? Is that what you said? Yeah. How do you know it was him? What do you mean, how do I know it was him? He's my dad. I'm still in shock. He was talking about politics and his fucked up beliefs about Muslims and millennials and... I don't know. Wait, what? Millennials? He's trying to be one of those guys who add to the cesspool of hate speech that's so hot right now. You're so hot right now. Cecilia puts her hand on my thigh and my thoughts are immediately cleared of Carl Jukes. What are you doing? What, you don't like it? Of course I like it. Me too. I miss your body. I loved watching you in the water. It reminded me of how sexy you are. Listen, I'm going to text my mom and ask her to watch Frida after we get home. I think we need some mommy time alone. Some late afternoon loving with Cecilia is the best thing that could happen right now, but I don't want to get my hopes up. There's always the chance we will just cuddle up and take a nap. Cecilia leaves her hand on my upper inner thigh, sometimes squeezing, sometimes caressing me gently as we drive home. I'm overwhelmed with excitement or nervousness. I can't tell the difference right now. I push it down as best I can. Cecilia takes Frida into the main house while I go upstairs and clear the bed of laundry and make it quickly by lifting the comforter a few times and letting it land gently on the mattress. As I stand under the hot water of the shower, I think about how I used to live. What I did with the comforter I only started doing last year. I always used sleeping bags or nasty polyester blankets from cheap motels. I was off the grid by choice, therefore I felt that using facilities meant for people who could not take care of themselves for whatever reason was wrong. I was always able to take care of myself, and I did. I went to swimming pools and sometimes hotel rooms if I needed to clean up. I didn't tell anyone else about this. It was my way of coping with the lifestyle. Why did I deny myself showers all those years? I know the answer to the question, of course. I've always known it. I was hard. So hard. I was an example, or at least I wanted to be an example to others to show them that they didn't have to conform to society's rules. Fuck society's rules. Jobs, I still believe many jobs are useless. A waste of time and anarchic energy. Being a pussy was my life's work. That's what I've been missing. I hear the front door shut and I start the process of clearing my mind of the past. I look around the bathroom. The shelf full of Cecilia's baskets of makeup, makeup remover, hair remover. I live here. I am here right now.
The door to the bathroom opens first, then the shower door. Cecilia is naked. She steps into the steamy enclosure, wraps her arms around me, and kisses me. It's like a scene in a rom-com, except we haven't fumbled down the hallway kissing and taking our clothes off. We get right to skin on skin because we have to be strategic in our sex. Mom has to pick Dad up from tennis, so we only have an hour. We wash ourselves, get out, dry off, and get into bed. I rub my body on the soft sheets like an octopus. Cecilia lays on top of me. This would be enough if I died right now. The sheets, the shower, the heat from Cecilia's stomach on my stomach. Her tits hanging above, tickling mine. I touch them. She winces and moves my hand. Doesn't feel good. She pushes her girl into mine and I lift my ass to push back. She makes those sounds. I run my fingers down her back hard and she kisses me, open mouth. The tip of our tongues tease each other. I roll us onto our sides, facing each other. We kiss again as I caress her inner thighs, her hair, her lips. I touch her wetness and move to her clit. She makes the sounds again. I slip my finger in. As my finger eases in and out, the waiting room at the county courthouse pops into my mind. Instead of gray walls, the room is lined with burgundy velvet. Why did this take so long? She says in a low, silky voice. The courthouse image is replaced by flashes of light behind my eyes and throbbing in my girl as she anticipates her turn. I kiss the inside of her neck, behind her ears. She opens her legs wider and my finger goes deep into her. How is it possible for my fingertips to tell my brain what the inside of Cecilia looks like? Not like a photograph, but a sensory image of smooth long lines and bumpy crevices. My fingers are like little cameras. I don't know anything about biology or physiology and I don't want to. I know my finger is inside of Cecilia and she is enjoying this. She moves her hand down and touches herself and within seconds is breathing short, syncopated breaths and I see the convulsions of her orgasm pass through her like small, delicate waves rolling onto soft yellow sand. She's making those sounds again, deeper and slower. She giggles and hugs me so hard that my ears ring. I can't breathe, but I know she will let me go soon, so I don't push her away. Fuck, that is so much better than what I do on my own when you're at work. It is? Yeah. She gets on top of me again. Her face is flushed. Her long hair is everywhere. She moves herself down my body, running her hands over my tits and my stomach. She spreads my legs and runs her tongue over my clit and inside of me. My body fills with soft heat from my pussy to my earlobes. My legs and arms and everything are superfluous in this moment. All I am is my sensual nerves and softness. Something shifts and all I can think about is that belt on the folding machine at work that keeps snagging sheets. I can feel the top of the mountain. The goal is close. So close. I concentrate. I push the belt out of my mind. I arch my hips and push into Cecilia's mouth. Over and over, I strain. There it is. Boom. Crash. Pop. My brain stops. I am floating. Warm. Cecilia giggles again and pounces back towards the top of the bed. She pulls me into her. I smell her shoulder. There is no lotion smell on her shoulder, no car air freshener, no perfume, nothing artificial hiding her smell. Then I'm awake and cold and the TV is on. The news. A bombing. Children dead. No! 
I yell, louder than I meant to. I reach for the remote and turn the TV off. Hey, I was watching that. It's just stories about people being killed and tortured. You don't turn off my TV. I want some quiet right now. Those stories make me numb. A lot of people can't pick and choose what they care about like you. What are you talking about? What if this was a story about the patriarchy? She does air quotes. I care about all of it. Really? Yes, how do you not get that? I guess I see some fundamental flaws with your activism. You know what? Never mind, it's not a good time. No, no, I want to hear what you have to say. I'm not going to let her win the How Great Thou Art competition today, even though I know what she's going to say, because she has said it a hundred times before. It's tried. It's alienating. What is alienating exactly? Your assumptions about me are alienating? A lot of people know and respect my work. She has no idea. We had such a nice time before. Let's park this. Park it? I want to hear your insightful analysis of my work. She laughs. First of all, it's not work. You work at the laundry. The activism stuff you did was creative. Funny. But did you change anything? Did you actually make anyone's life better? Isn't that what activism does, even if it's disruptive? Even if it pisses people off, it should be productive. Basically, you're saying I'm a loser for devoting my life to something I believe in? Everything I believe in has no value because one, I'm white, two, I didn't help anyone, little do you know, and three, you think I should be more like you. Cecilia smiles, which makes the flame of rage in my stomach burn hotter. I didn't say any of those things. Do you want to know what I think of your life and your choices? Cecilia is standing now. She turns her back to me and bends over and farts too close to my head. I recoil back into the pillows. She's trying to hide laughter as she gets dressed. What the fuck, Cease? That's nasty. I don't like it when you call me that and I don't like it when you bait me into arguments. Well, you're the one who- Shut up. Shut up. She stares at me. Her nostrils open and close and her mouth tightens into a pucker. I'm going to get my baby and take her for a walk. Thank you for the fuck. She leaves. The ceiling offers me no comfort no matter how long I stare at it. Pussy Power was famous on many college campuses. How dare she? She has no idea who I am, what I've achieved. When we went to colleges, I loved the attention. Sally used it as a way to get laid or get drugs, whatever her need was at that time. I liked the questions and the people who sat too close to me or stared at me. I liked the weirdos. But my favorite were the young women who were discovering their feminism and saw me as a warrior, like Wonder Woman with hairy armpits and an old car that smelled like I had been living out of it off and on for years because I had been. These women had access to nice bathrooms where I could clean up and clothes they no longer needed that they seemed happy to gift to me. And food. Hot food. Sometimes they cooked for me in their one-room studios. Other times I would wait outside of some dorm or administrative structure at the college and they would bring me food from the cafeteria. There were many of these girls over the years. We would give the feminist group on campus a heads up that we were coming and send them links to disruptions. Sally would go in all hot and fierce like a military sergeant getting the troops ready for battle. I would play good cop in charge of recruiting some of the group to help with the disruption. If we didn't have a solid narrative to work from, 
We went for the default college campus narrative of tagging or plastering posters or writing in chalk at the main entrance to the school and directly outside of the administrative buildings where the vice chancellor or president or whatever the fuck high level name they had for the top dog maintained an office. Always a man. Mostly a man. One or two times it was a woman running the place, so we pitched the mission as a reminder. I was always stoked when we visited women-only universities. The high estrogen levels and combined female brain power pulled me in. I suddenly became eager to find out about the course offerings and contemplated quitting my life's work thus far to pursue higher education. I wanted to be surrounded by women, learning, talking, questioning, paying a lot of tuition to be together in a woman-only space. Mom would have paid for it with her Owen money. I was brought back to the pussy present by whatever disruption task needed my expert opinion. I was contributing to the education of these students by teaching them the power of a good disruption and the seed planting methods that they might still be using wherever they are. Cecilia has no idea who I am. I get to the community center so early that the chairs are still stacked in the middle of the room. It's everyone's job to put the chairs out into a circle. I'm not usually here early enough to do it, and even though I'm early today, I'm not sure I would do it right. I'm here to talk to Julianne, and there she is at the cookie table, also not lifting chairs. Hey, I say, and stand next to her as I make myself a coffee. One plastic spoonful of instant coffee, two of sugar, and three heaping spoonfuls of non-dairy cream dust. It is a known fact that non-dairy creamer in powder form is an adequate dietary supplement or stomach filler if you have no other option. Many times I helped myself to this dust in various mechanics, motel lobbies, and supermarkets. Spoon 10 helpings of non-dairy dust, 3 helpings of sugar, and add hot water. Amount depends on personal preference. I like it creamy, but not too runny, so I would add enough water to cover the dry ingredients, about 2 tablespoons more. That made a nice, swallowable, non-gaggy paste that kept me satiated for hours sometimes. How you doing? Oh, hey, it's you! How am I doing? Do you want the answer I give to the authorities or the real-life answer that I have not yet articulated even to myself? She says. I laugh a little. She is a bit kooky and has cookie crumbs on her face. Luckily, she laughs too. I'll tell you what, I'm looking forward to this evening because my son is coming over for dinner and he's bringing beef stroganoff. He's training to be a chef. Yeah, I remember you saying that. I stir my coffee. I'm proud of him. God, it's nice to say that. It's only recently that I felt like I'm allowed to be proud of him. Before, it was like I was denying myself the feeling because I didn't deserve it. You know what I mean? If I think about how good he is doing, it gets me out of my stuff. She waves her hands around her head and spills her coffee on herself. Ouch, shit. A few people stop unstacking chairs and look our way. Julianne's face is red. I spilled coffee on myself. It's hot. Ouch, right? Not gonna sue. Don't worry. My bad. She looks at me and rolls her eyes. Embarrassing, she sings in a high-pitched voice. Hey, can I talk to you about something? She is wiping her shirt with a wad of napkins. Yeah, anything. Oh, wait. She leans in closer to my right ear. If you need me to steal something, the answer is no, but I'll hear you out. Can't take the game out of the player. She elbows me. I step away from her and walk into the hallway for some privacy and motion for her to follow. I have this idea. I mean, I want to do something. 
I mean, I've had an opportunity come up that might be something I want to pursue. Like a business? That would be cool. You've got the smarts for that. Something online? No, not a business. It's an idea, and I need to know if I can trust you before I tell you. You need to help me decide if it's a good idea or not. Well, no pressure, she says and puts her hands up in the don't shoot position. I know the idea is good. I need some advice on the limitations of my probation. It's not something I can talk to my PO about. I have no idea what you are talking about. You've circled the toilet bowl 20 times. I'm going to need you to get to the shit. Julianne has a smile on her face. That was a good one, huh? Come on, I can see a smile trying to get out of that stern face of yours. This woman is a little strange, but I like her style. She is a big fan of matching sweatsuits. Today's ensemble is a rust color, velour, two-piece that is doing a good job of hiding the coffee stain. Who am I to judge appearances anyway? Can I trust you? Why did I ask her that? What is she going to say? No, I am actually going to betray you, so tell me anything. Me? Of course. Yes, I'm honored to be your confidant. She sticks her right hand out for me to shake. I shake it awkwardly with my left hand because the coffee is in my right hand and I don't shake hands often. It's such a guy thing and I don't know a lot of guys right now. Okay, what I want to do is something to someone. He's my father. I want to use methods that I am not allowed to use, technically, to do this thing because of my probation. I wait for her answer. I don't understand, she says. I saw my father on TV last weekend. He's crazy, a white power screw job, and he's on the internet publishing the addresses of people he doesn't like. He's dangerous is what he is, and I want to stop him by using methods and tactics that I'm not allowed to use because probation. I'm so excited talking about it. This is how it is with a good disruption or series of disruptions. The path is clear and my stomach flips and flops in anticipation. I love everything about the process of creating and executing a disruption. The anxiety and the creative process. My jaw is vibrating. This is my thing. This is what I do. Julianne leans in closer to me. Are you going to do anything illegal? I shake my head. No, but this plan involves me doing things that I'm not allowed to do because I'm on probation. Like, I'm not allowed to engage with certain people from my past and use social media, things like that. Oh, right. Probation. I wonder if you have any advice. You lost me again. Advice. Should I or shouldn't I? What will happen if I break the rules of my probation? Why do you think I would know? Are you insinuating that I am someone who breaks the rules? She looks at me with a serious face. Then she elbows me again in the ribs and points at me. Gotcha. If you break probation, let's see, let's see. If you're lucky, you will get raided a couple times a year, maybe more. Random raids happens a lot. Jail raids, jail raids. She puts another cookie in her mouth. I'd pick raids any day. Jails for losers, but don't tell any of them I said that. She motions toward the big room where our group meets. What do you need to do? Well, what I would do in this type of scenario is decide if it's worth it. Is it lucrative? Will it benefit you in a way that helps your life goals? We've run out of time, my friend. You still got my card? Keep me informed. Julianne pats me on the shoulder and leaves the hallway. I hear group leaders starting the session. 
I go into the big room and take my seat among my court-appointed peers. I don't pay much attention to the group, as usual. When it's my turn to check in, I talk about the reflux and the night shift. I talk about how taking care of Frida is tough. It's all true, and it bores group leader enough that she moves on to the next person without asking me any probing questions. Julianne's words are doing laps in my brain. Is it worth it? If I am successful at silencing Carl Jukes, will it help me reach my life goals? The answer to that one is easy. It's yes, because right now one of my life's goals is silencing Carl Jukes. Long-term planning is not something I do. As we file out of the gym, Julianne taps me on my shoulder as she walks past and puts her smartphone up to her ear and whispers, Call me. I nod. She puts another cookie in her mouth and walks out the door of the community center. The stationery in this dollar store is all superheroes and teacups, which is not ideal, but I have to buy something here because I don't have time to go anywhere else before I have to pick Frida up from Cecilia's parents. Finally, a conservative design reveals itself on the messy shelf. The set with its faint pink roses in the corners is the best one I've come across. I want these letters to seem friendly, because they are, but mostly I want them to be taken seriously. Despite not having the exact stationery I want, this is a decent dollar store. The food section is huge, taking up half the space in here. I remember when dollar stores started selling food, my food choices increased dramatically. If I was still living my old life, this place would make my day. Now that I am permanently out of contact with my old associates, I can admit that I am a hypocrite when it comes to the capitalist machine. I could not have continued my activism during the last decade or so without dollar stores. I loved slow motioning down the aisles, looking at each label, especially the ones that weren't in English and imagining what the food inside the plastic package tasted like. I have sampled so many fast noodle options over the years that I wouldn't be surprised if I have irreparable damage to some organ from excessive MSG consumption. I'm writing letters to the addresses on Carl's website. I put on the latex gloves I bought and pull out a sheet of paper from the plastic sleeve. I'm writing before I draft anything in my head. Dear friend, I am writing this letter to warn you that your address was posted on a website of a known white supremacist and bigot. The website is crjukes.com and your address is on there. The man responsible is Carl Jukes. He is old and not very smart. His address is 58 Walding Street, San Diego, California. Sincerely, an ally. I write six letters and take them to the post office. It's anticlimactic to just drop the letters into this metal box at the post office without drawing any attention to myself. I could rip off my shirt, but apart from an adrenaline rush, what would that achieve? Probably get me arrested. Now, I wait. For what, I am not sure. Will Carl post on his social media or blog about any visits he gets from strangers, demanding retribution for whatever pain they have endured as a result of his cowardly posts? He probably wouldn't share that information because he thinks it makes him look weak to have the tables turned on him. I would love to read that post. I have been driving past Marble's house more often since that day at the internet cafe. I speed past, hoping to get a glimpse of her red car Mangia in the driveway, or any sign that she is still there. After my arrest, when I went out of sight, out of mind, 
I still drove by here, but I never had the intention to pop in. After sending those letters, I've had this flat feeling. That method was so passive. I need to take direct action against Carl. Today, I will pop in. See what the state of affairs is. Hope Marbles doesn't bite my head off and spit it back at me. I park down the street so she doesn't see that I'm still driving my old clunker car with its different colored hood and doors. Her elitist criticisms sting no matter how confident I feel. She is a powerhouse of cruel wit, and I have never felt like I could match her speed of mind. She's gone full drought-resistant. Her front garden is so perfect. Each mound of dirt is so smooth it looks like someone has dusted it. Colorful flowers grow tall out of the succulents that line the edge of the smooth, sloping concrete path to her front door. Marbles was never an official member of Pussy Power, and not because there was never anything official about us. She said she was too old. She liked us to come around and tell her stories about her disruptions and other adventures in feral living, which we obliged often, but I always felt judged by her even while she celebrated us. Possibly we reminded her of what she had not done, or, more painfully, what she would never do again. I knocked quietly, then loudly, and maybe for too long, because when a short guy I don't know answers, he looks flustered. We look at each other for a long time. He looks familiar, but maybe it's just a queer thing where we all recognize each other on a deeper level. I'm not philosophical, so I just let it go and focus on the task at hand and tell him I'm looking for marbles. Um, the little guy says, and he moves his head to see around me. Maybe he's making sure I'm alone. Maybe he's expecting a delivery. Who's asking? D. D what? She knows. He shuts the door and I can hear Muffle talking. I take a deep breath and roll the burner around in my hand in the back pocket of my black jeans. The door opens again and he waves his hand toward the inside of the house. The smell in here is not what I remember at all. It's faint and animal-like, more wet dog than litter box. The same photos line the walls of the hallway on the way to the living room. Black and white images taken by Marble's ex. She was a photographer. Me and Sally met her sometime in the late 90s. I don't remember where and I can't remember her name. I remember the photo shoots, though. She liked taking photos of us in strange places, like in the middle of malls and car dealerships. We met Marbles through this photographer. Annette? Francine? It was some 1950s TV show name, which was an odd contrast to her dark skin and large afro. They broke up, but our relationship with Marbles went on for years. One photo invokes this feeling deep within my stomach, like one of those low chimes the Buddhists use when they meditate or whatever. Dong. Fuck, I was young in that photo. It's the one at the car dealership. I am standing on top of a new Cadillac with my arm raised above my head. I'm wearing a black bra, dark eye makeup, and black jeans, as always. Sally is squatting in front of the car with both hands pulling the finger. We both have these lip curl snarls on our faces. If there was a word for embarrassing nostalgic pride, I'd like to know what it is, because that's what I'm feeling right now. I continue on toward the living room. I see Marble's feet first. They're propped up on the pull-out part of the recliner chair she is sitting in. I'm apprehensive to go any further, but she knows I'm here. I came for a reason. I am not a quitter. She is thin, skin and bones, and she's moving nonstop. 
shaking. I can't look away. You have risen from the dead. She holds her purple-veined skeletal hand out to me. I take it and squeeze gently. I forgot about her accent. Somehow it's stronger than I remember. Armani, can you get the whiskey? We will have a whiskey. I don't know what to say to her. I could try a long time no see. Boring. You look well. A lie. She looks like death. What comes out finally is, do you have Parkinson's? She looks out the window as if I've asked about something outside. No, I don't think so, she says in her shaky old lady voice. I'm pissed off now. She's not supposed to get old and frail. She's hardcore, badass marbles who survived fighting against apartheid in South Africa. Armani comes in with a couple of glasses and the whiskey bottle on a tray. Can she hear very well? I ask him quietly. Armani looks at me for a moment, then nods. I look at marbles and she is smiling that wry smile that has always made me nervous and giggly at the same time. What's news? You become a nun or something? She asks me. Armani is helping her drink the whiskey. It makes me want to cry, so I down my whiskey and remember that I am driving. Can I have a coffee, please? Armani, can you get the guest a coffee, please? Plenty of half and half is how she takes it. After he walks into the kitchen, she says loudly, You like Armani? He's Filipino. I got him from the gay phone book, you know? The queer yellow pages. I look down in an attempt to escape the discomfort I am feeling as she humiliates this guy. Your hair is strange and you seem... I don't know. Boring, she says. Has she been talking to my P.O.? I've been here approximately one minute and she hasn't even tried to fake civility. Yes, I am boring now. I'm bored all the time. All I do is pay bills. People wanting to buy my properties. It's not exciting. They think I'm going to die. Imminently. Everybody's looking for a bargain. I'm not senile, the motherfuckers. I should have come over sooner, I say. Shoulda, coulda, woulda. What have you been doing with yourself? I have a job. A job. Really. I live with someone and... I hesitate. Fuck it. We have a baby. I mean, she does. I live with them. A baby. That's rich. Are you getting gay married as well? I don't plan to. Not in my wildest dreams did I think you would be a breeder. Old people know just where to point an offhanded comment so that it stings the younger person in just the right spot to cause a long-lasting hurt. I haven't heard the word breeder in a long time. It's one of those words that exists for the sole purpose of demeaning and judging someone. When a queer person uses it about another queer person, it hurts. A lot. Oppression within an already oppressed group is expected because hurt people hurt people, but it's inexcusable. It's like the LGBs turning their back on the T's because they just don't understand or don't want to. Armani interrupts my negative thought spiral with a coffee. I immediately transfer my pain onto him in the form of pity. I take a deep breath and cut to the chase. Have you seen Sally? Who? I raise my voice. Sally, has she been around? Marbles shakes her head slowly, and the bright afternoon light shines on her thin silver hair and illuminates the pale skin and dark spots on her scalp. Sally has disappeared as well. Nobody wants to be around a decaying human being. 
It's depressing, Marble says. Behind her chair is a map of South Africa. She had a rough background, but she has never told me much about it. I know she left because of her activism. Whenever I pushed for more than the basics, she always shuts me down. I assumed her family benefited from apartheid in some way, but maybe that was just my tendency to distrust. Armani, when was the last time we saw Sally? Armani pokes his head out from the kitchen. Who? Sally. Looks like this one, but rougher. I don't know. Sorry. She will be by again when she needs something. Money, I say. Marbles nods her head, then sets it back on her chair with her eyes closed. Her mouth hangs open. She looks like she died just now. She was waiting for me to show up, and after I did, she died. Armani comes back into the room, and as he passes by me, I close my eyes and take a deep breath in through my nose to smell whatever sweet smell he has brought with him. It's sandalwood and peaches. I don't know, it's nice. He's nice. He's carrying a tray that he sets on the little table next to marbles. He holds a gun-shaped device up to her forehead like he's executing her. It beeps. He puts it back on the tray. He picks up a stethoscope and listens to her chest. How long have you worked here? I whisper. About five months. That seems like a long time, I say. Frida wasn't even born five months ago. That freaks me out a little bit. What if I had seen Carl on TV back then? I might not have stayed with Cecilia. I might have just taken off to mom's. That would have been easier in hindsight for me. Marbles jolts awake and I spill some coffee. It burns my wrist. Armani hands me a napkin, then resets the blanket to cover Marbles. He is a gentle person. She is lucky to have him. Get my notebook! My notebook! Marbles is shouting at Armani. She points to somewhere nonspecific across the room. He goes over to where she is pointing. No, my notebook! Armani is picking up different papers and notebooks. I want to tell her to calm down, but I don't want to risk causing an angry reaction towards me. I came here with a goal that I think is about to be realized. The red one, does that look red to you? He finds the right one and the cover is not red. It's burgundy bordering on purple. Give it to her, not me. Her. Marbles is waving in my direction. Armani hands me the notebook. Thank you, I say loudly to him because I want to let him know I think he is an intelligent and capable person, no matter what shit he gets from her. I open the notebook, which is actually an address book. Yes, this is what I was hoping for. I flip through pages and find Sally's name with about a dozen numbers, some with a large X next to them. I pull out the burner and start keying in the numbers. Just rip the goddamn page out. I don't want to listen to all that beeping. I rip the page out, not worrying too much about damaging the book. I fold the paper and slide it into my back pocket. I suppose you're going to leave now that you've got what you came for. Her head is still against the back of her chair, but she is staring at me with wet, glassy eyes. I don't have to leave. You do what you want. I take another sip of coffee. They shouldn't have called you a breeder before. I was just shocked. You understand? I never thought you would participate in anything like that. I sip again and don't even try to respond. 
I thought about having a child. It was many, many years ago, before the gaby boom, when I was first in California. I was lonely, and my neighbors had this beautiful little boy that I got along with quite well. Only male I've ever really connected with, if you want to know the truth. He's probably turned out to be a predator, no matter. Just living up to the cultural expectations. Do you remember that time I sent you to see that city councillor? I rub my forehead. This interaction is taking a toll on my nerves. You and Sally got him by the short and curlies. I love that expression. That was phenomenal. Somehow he tracked things back to me, or it was a good guess on his part. Did I ever tell you this? He showed up here, accompanied by a big hefty man. A hired thug. It was all a big show to threaten me. They didn't say, we're here to get you, but their body language told me as much. I can catch a nuance. I have been through things, dangerous things, and his thick, no-brained muscle head did not frighten me. I had the photos that you and Sally took of the city councillor. I laid them out on the table right over there, quite unabashedly. Despite his rough exterior, the hired toughy was squeamish and couldn't handle the images of his boss doing the dirty things Sally made him do. That was the last I heard from either of them. I didn't have any trouble after that from that man. So tell me about this baby. I hope you haven't brought another white man into the world. I laugh. She's not a white man. Her name is Frida. You're kidding. I'm not. Her mom, your girlfriend. Yes, my girlfriend. It's a family name. Is she Mexican? Yes. I love the Mexicans. Best people in this country. What is she like? The baby? Either. Both. I don't care. Just talk to me. Nobody talks to me. Marbles is still looking at me. Her skin is pale with blue veins crisscrossing her cheeks. The last time I was here, she did not look like this. She is so thin, I am looking at her skeleton, and it's weirdly beautiful. Like she's being stripped down to the most fundamental parts of herself. Bones and heartbeats in this moment. I can sense something I've never really felt before. I'm pretty sure it's death. Her death is right there under the surface of her skin, and I am watching it happen like a tsunami, unable to stop it or help her fight it. I can say anything I want right now. I could tell her that I feel like I wasted my life and she should have done more to help me change instead of encouraging me to keep going with pussy power. I could tell her about Carl, but I don't think she would be impressed with me. Even though she was our biggest fan, by far, she loved our stories. There were many times when Sally and I laughed while planning disruptions because we were excited about telling Marbles what we had done. We were more excited about telling her than we were about actually doing the disruption. I am tired from the whiskey and on edge from the coffee, my sixth for the day. I avoid talking about anything controversial. No old times. I talk about Frida's routine and her soft forehead and how sometimes I press it gently and compare it to my own. The layers of skin and baby fat underneath create the softest, spongiest surface that is so satisfying to touch. I think I love that little baby more now than I am talking about her than I do when I'm with her and busy because of her. I know I don't love her the way Cecilia or her parents do, but I'm trying hard. After we brought her home from the hospital, I was definitely not in love with her. The crying was relentless and Cecilia was so stressed out because the breastfeeding was hard. I slept in my car a couple of times after work because I couldn't handle the tension in the house. When Frida started smiling, that was cute, but the love feeling I thought I would feel hadn't shown up. 
I'm nice to her, but can I say I love her unconditionally? I don't know if I'm capable of that with anyone. There are always things that annoy me. In group, some of the others talk about getting angry at their kids and yelling or even physically abusing them. I judge them. I always judge people who are violent against innocence. Like they lack self-control and that bothers me. I don't think there is anything Frida could do that would make me act in a violent way towards her. Will I choose the right way to act towards Frida at all times? My choices in the past haven't always been great, so it's hard to trust myself with her, and I'm kind of pissed off Cecilia and her family are forcing me into the situation that is so high stakes. I don't tell Marbles any of this either. I just talk about bathing her, and how the umbilical cord took so long to fall off, and how evil her crying is when I'm dead with sleep. Armani pulls a stool to the end of the recliner, warms some lotion into his hands, and starts rubbing her feet gently. She usually sleeps for an hour or so, he says, and looks me in the eyes. I can take a hint. I got what I needed from her. Before I go, I stare at her face. Should I feel more right now? If I don't feel sad or angry, does that mean I don't care about her anymore? I watch her open mouth twitch. I know I will never see her again. Back in my car, I enter all the phone numbers on the address book page into the burner. I type the text, Valerie is ready to aim. My pussy power name is Valerie. It's an homage to someone who would have been a pussy if we knew her. She was a supreme disruptor. I have never shot anyone, but there have been times when I've wanted to. Some of these numbers will be landlines. Many of them will be burners. My text will beep at the bottom of a pile in a garbage dump somewhere far from where I am today. Far from where Sally is now. She could be anywhere. If she was dead or inside, someone would have let me know. Even Armani would have known. I think he knows more than he lets on. That guy was a good find. I push send and little bars flash across the screen as my attempt at getting in touch with Sally is complete. I stare at the phone. I've broken my probation again. I've stepped deeper into the unknown. It came so naturally as if no time has passed. I typed those words in. Ready. Aim. That's pussy power code when the methods are in place or action is ready to be taken. Sally will know. I always taught new pussies the three C's of dealing with Sally. It's good general life advice as well. Inevitably, a woman new to the crowd would ask me, What's up with Sally? She seems kind of evil. After establishing that we were safely out of earshot of Sally, I would give the uninitiated the following speech. The three C's of dealing with Sally. Be careful what you say around her. Don't show her your vulnerabilities because she will use them against you. Always stay calm, even when she uses your vulnerabilities against you, because she will, no matter how hard you worked at not showing them to her, she will find something to poke you with. Always act casual. Never get upset about anything she does. Visibly, verbally, suck it in tight like a fart in an elevator. No matter how much the conversation gets flipped around, if you let yourself get upset, she sees it, feels it, smells it. Then, it can come out of the blue at a party, drinking and having fun. Sally will pull something out to hurt you. You might be in the middle of a disruption and Sally will fuck things up because she gets an impulse to put you down. Nothing is sacred with her. 
That's why she is so good at bringing targets down, but she can and has caused implosions within the collective. She ruined more than a few planned disruptions, not to mention friendships and relationships. This trip down memory lane is a good reminder for me as I embark on the path of taking down Carl. Sally will hurt me somehow in this process, and I have to be ready for whatever that turns out to be. If we stop him, no. When we stop him, it will be worth my sacrifice. Sorry, I missed your call. Have to tell you more.